Well, good morning from me. We are continuing in our series in the book of Luke. Luke is one of the four Gospels in the New Testament, the part of the Bible where Jesus has shown up. The Gospels are biographical accounts of Jesus's life, and the word Gospel means good news. And if you're joining us today as a sort of visitor, then we want to share with you good news. I hope that this morning will be a blessing to you, and hopefully already has been. We're going to be looking in chapter 10 of Luke, verses 38 to 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I'm just going to pray, and then we will look in this passage together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. And I do pray in our homes uh, and in our hearts that you would meet with us, talk to us, teach us. Help us to open ourselves to you that you could have your way and love us in the way that you want to. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking at this uh, story, and the first thing that strikes me is that we come to the end of this chapter, chapter 10, where Luke has been talking about how Jesus is sending out 72 disciples, where he is sending out these disciples to go and be laborers. He's teaching throughout this chapter, I want you to be active. I want you to be workers. I want you to labor. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He then goes on, as we heard last week, to teach about the Good Samaritan. When somebody asks him, who's my neighbor? He says, well, your neighbor is somebody who you show mercy to, who you serve, you actively serve. So right up until the end of this chapter so far, we've heard the Holy Spirit has inspired Luke to write these words. As the Bible tells us, that's how it was written. But it seems that he doesn't want to come to the end of this chapter without a sincere warning, a caveat that says, hey, you've heard to work hard. You've heard to labor. Jesus wants people on mission. He wants socially active followers who go about his work and his service. But right at the end here, it's like he's saying, but he doesn't just want people who busy themselves. He doesn't just want busybodies. It's much more nuanced than that. It's much more specific than that. It's interesting because Romans 12, 11, for instance, says this, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. And here it looks like we have a great illustration, a great picture of that. A woman who is not being slothful, she is zealously serving literally the Lord. She's going about the housework and sorting things out and preparing things and serving the Lord. And yet it seems like the slothful one, the one sitting down, not doing any work, is the one who's praised by Jesus. And the hardworking, industrious, busy woman is, is actually rebuked by Jesus, corrected by him. What's going on here? What, what's the story? I mean, we all know the scene. Think of the scene where, you know, one person is laboring hard. One person's working hard. They're going about, uh, you know, all the effort. And the other one's sitting around. I mean, perhaps you know that at work. Perhaps you've got a business partner or a colleague and you think, I always have to pick up after them. I always tend to do more work than them. 
Perhaps there's uh, somebody at college or uni or school and you're doing group work and you think, I carried that whole session. I did all the work. That wasn't fair. It was unjust. Maybe it's housework and you feel like I'm always the one sorting everything out. There's an imbalance here. It's not fair. I'm carrying the burden. Or maybe parenting. You think, I need to be backed up here. I feel like I'm doing it all myself. Perhaps just something more trivial like a sports team. You think, hey, I carried us. Come on, you guys, you need to work hard like I'm working. It's not fair. It can't all be on my shoulders. It's really discouraging to be doing this myself. And it can get us into a place of, uh, you know, we just feel quite bitter, quite frustrated, angry even. And this is what's going on here with Martha. She's got to a place where, sadly, out of a servant-hearted attitude, she wants to serve. She wants to love Jesus. She loves Jesus. But her servant-heartedness has kind of mutated into a, a bitterness, a frustration, a demand that people should be on the same wavelength as me, the same attitude as me. They should have the same convictions as me. It's even gone as far as demanding that Jesus rebuke her sister. I want her to be told off. We can get that far even with our frustrations. God, it should be this way. I want you to sort this person out. We make demands of God. This isn't fair. You need to change the situation. Well, we find out in this story that Jesus actually wants to change Martha's heart. He's more focused on where she needs to change. We have sympathy for Martha in this, don't we? Seems like Mary's just being lazy. Mary's just sitting back. She's sitting at Jesus' feet. It's certainly not obvious that Jesus, especially after we've heard in this chapter so far, he wants people who work for him, who labor, who, who serve others. It's certainly not an obvious response. Hey, Martha, calm down. Mary's made the better choice here. It's not obvious, is it? By any means, we, we sympathize with her. We get her point, right? Well, I think Jesus', is, Jesus words are fascinating. He has five kind of phrases. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Thirdly, one thing is needed. Fourthly, Mary has chosen the good portion. And fifthly, it will not be taken away from her. I want to look at these five phrases that he uses under three headings, three banners. First of all, Jesus knows your mess and he has compassion. Jesus knows about your mess. He knows you. I mean, hear his words here. Martha, Martha. He knows her. He uses her name. He uses it with compassion and kindness and gentleness. Jesus is a gentle, loving friend. Martha, Martha. He wants to speak right into her heart. He's not losing his temper with her. He's not frustrated. He is rebuking her. He is confronting her, but he does it so gently, so lovingly. Martha, Martha. He speaks to her to stop her in her tracks. Jesus' desire, using her name twice, as we see in the Bible, often repetition will add weight it's a bit like putting in bold print or in italics. Martha, Martha. Sometimes it, Jesus would say truly, truly. Or in some interpretations, verily, verily. He's saying, listen to the truth. I'm telling truth right now. 
or other places we hear the angels singing holy 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 the repetition is to add weight god is holy here he's saying martha martha he repeats her name he wants to he wants to penetrate her mindset he wants to break up where she is he wants to interrupt her life perhaps jesus wants to interrupt your life he does it so gently he does it so kindly but his desire is to bring life martha martha he wants to speak to her he knows her intimately he knows even her heart as we know that uh, it says in samuel man looks at the outside at the outer appearance god looks at the heart god knows your heart it says in psalm 139 god knows the words that are going to come out of your lips before you speak them he knows when you stand up and when you sit down he knows you he's very familiar with you he's familiar with martha's troubles familiar with her thoughts because he goes on to say you are anxious and troubled about many things you know god knows about your troubled heart he knows about the things that trouble you he knows about the things that you're anxious about he knows he knows what's going on and he has compassion he speaks to her with compassion she's walking around thinking what needs to be done what do I need to do? She's a woman who's thinking about, you know, I don't want things to go undone. It's a bit like that phrase, if you want something done properly, do it yourself. She's thinking, God, I've just got to do everything. I've got to get this ready. This has got to be done. I need to do something. What do I need to do? It's a bit like that phrase as well. If you want something done, give it to a busy person. Busy people are thinking, next thing, next thing, next thing. And she's certainly a busy person. She's busy in her mind. She's busy in her heart. And she's not at peace. You may well be somebody who knows you give yourself to, I want to get things done. I want to get things done. But Jesus knows your motive. He knows what's going on. And his, his desire is that you would work as we've read about in this passage, that you would serve him, that you would serve others, that you would be zealous, fervent in zeal, serving the Lord. That is his desire. But his desire is that that service is not just busyness. That you're not just keeping yourself busy. You're not trying to even achieve something and, and gain God's admiration. Or maybe even her problem here is that she is trying to prove herself. There is some value to her life. There's some value in what she has to bring. What also could be the case here is that she's very busy, but, but part of her busyness is that she's, she's hiding. She's, she's actually keeping a distance from Jesus. Look at the difference here. Mary, Mary is at Jesus' feet. She's given him access to her ears. But more importantly, she's given him access to her heart. She wants to listen. She wants to, to be taught. She wants to let him change her. You could possibly say here that Martha's being the lazy one. Sometimes my children, they, they leave their room messy, believe it or not, and uh, it's tempting to go and tidy it. It'll take me five minutes to tidy their room. It would take them months to learn how to tidy their room. I could serve them by tidying their room for them in three or four minutes. Just get it sorted, get it done quickly, out the way. Or I could 
do the hard work. The hard work of training my children to clean their room, to tidy their room. You see, sometimes service is actually lazy. I'd rather just do this than have to go through the effort. It's possible that Martha is keeping herself busy. She's a bit of a busy body, body so that she doesn't have to expose her heart to Jesus. She doesn't have to learn what he wants to teach her. She doesn't have to take on new things and correct her life. Possible for you, that a possibility that you keep yourself busy so that God doesn't change you. you. You kind of avoid God having access to your heart. I'd rather do things for him than have him do things in me. I'll just, I'll just try and keep him happy by just being a good person. When God's saying, I really want access to your heart. I really want you to know me. Because the difficulty is, the danger is that you become controlling with your actions. You're trying to prove yourself. You're, you grow resentful when things don't go your way. You grow bitter. You want to pull others into your mindset. These are all things that Martha's doing here. She's wanting others to get rebuked. She even demands God do what she says. Jesus won't be manipulated. He won't be put in your debt. You can't say, look what I've done. It says in Matthew 7, on the last days there'll be people who say, look what I've done. And Jesus will say, the problem is, you didn't know me, I didn't know you. Depart from me. Jesus' heart is that you would expose your heart to him. That you give him access to your heart. It's, tip, it's, it's, it's easy for us sometimes just to say, give, just give me a task to do. I know that myself. I know it's, it's much easier. It's not, I'm not taking on a responsibility. Just give me work to do. I'll do it for you. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it the best I can. But if it's like, no, Tim, you have to decide what the best choice is here. I think, oh, it's hard. It's hard to make that choice. Just tell me. Just tell me. No, God wants you to take on the responsibility of opening your heart to him, letting him do what he needs to be doing in you. Secondly, Jesus holds what you are looking for. So firstly, Jesus knows your mess and he has compassion. Secondly, Jesus holds what you are looking for. He says, one thing is needed. Mary chose the good portion. One thing is needed. See, Martha, you think... You're troubled by many things. You think many things are needed. There's only one thing that's needed. J.C. Ryle, a, a pastor in the 19th century, said this. How true that saying is. He's talking about one thing is needed. How true that saying is. The longer we live in the world, the more true it becomes. Health and money and lands and rank and honours and prosperity are all very well in their own way but they cannot be called needed. Without them, thousands are happy in this world and reach glory in the world to come. The many things which men and women are continually struggling for are not really necessities. The grace of God which brings salvation is the one thing that is needed. How true that is. How profound that is. How sobering that is. We give ourselves to the troubles that occupy our mind. 
I've got to control that. That's got to be done. That's going to fall apart if we don't look at that. We've got to make sure that happens. I need, I need, I need. What do we need? What do we need? One thing is needed. And J.C. Ryle is right. The grace of God, which brings salvation. That's the one thing that is needed. People in this world are happy without all these trinkets. One thing is needed. Restoration. Redemption, relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what's needed. Life is found in Jesus. Mary, Mary knows what the one thing is. She's making the good choice. She has chosen the good portion. There's a movie that I've watched a number of times. I really enjoy it. It's called American Beauty. And it's a sad movie in many ways. It's, it's, it's made up of a, a bunch of characters who are all trying to understand what is life about. They're all trying to validate their lives, justify their existence. Some of them are looking for, for life in, in lustful romance. Some of them are looking for life in, in business success. Looking for their worth and value and how they can succeed. Some, some in kind of autonomous freedom, just not having to do anything that anyone else says. Some in control. Some in popularity. There's these different characters. But there's, this, there's a married couple in this story and they've grown apart for, for years. And their marriage is a bit of a sham. They're, there's no intimacy. There's no closeness. They just are roommates, as it were. And... Uh, there's this one moment where Lester, the male character, the, the husband, he, he, he kind of wants to break through. Break through. Martha, Martha. I want to break through the mindset of his wife's and their distance. He wants to break through this distance. And he says to his wife, what happened to that girl that I knew at college who used to do crazy things? And he starts to kind of flirt with her and smile with her. And she begins to smile back at him and soften. He moves towards her and he, he goes to sort of kiss her and, and be intimate with her. But he's holding a bottle in his hand. And, and he, as he leans in and puts his arm on the sofa, she can't help herself but say, Lester, you're going to spill beer on the couch. And the whole moment evaporates. The moment of softness evaporates. And there is the wall again. And Lester stands up frustrated and says, So what? It's just a couch. And she says, This is a $4,000 sofa upholstered in Italian silk. This is not just a couch. And he, exasperated, says, It's just a couch. This isn't life. This is just stuff. And it's become more important to you than living. Well, honey, that's just nuts. You see, one thing is needed. And Lester hasn't understood what that one thing is. He doesn't know what life is about. He's looking for answers, but he knows what it isn't. He knows what life is not. And he's frustrated that he can see his wife is looking for life in things that don't matter. And their marriage and their love and their relationship is being sacrificed for things that don't matter. Jesus knows what matters. And he's frustrated when he looks on his beloved and sees people he loves 
trying to find life in things that don't matter. Martha's busying herself. Mary knows what matters. She has chosen the good portion. See, Jesus holds what you are actually looking for. It says uh, when Jesus stood up in John 7, he actually said on the last day of the feast of the great day, he stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He does not say if anyone thirsts God, if anyone thirsts for God, if anyone thirsts for godliness, if anyone thirsts for righteousness, he just says if anyone thirsts. We all thirst. We all thirst. We thirst for love. We thirst for joy. We thirst for peace. We thirst for safety. We thirst for affection. And we, we thirst for validation. And Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, come to me. You see, Jesus holds what you are looking for. He is the source of love and joy and peace. We look for them in all sorts of places, but Jesus says, come to me. Martha, Martha, stop. You're trying to find validation. You're trying to find control. You're trying to find life. Mary's found a good portion. She's chosen a good portion. I am the source. Because it goes on to say in John 7, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You see, Jesus has so much to give to us that it actually will cause us to be able to serve and give out of excess. Not out of trying to scrape life out of things, but out of, I found life in Jesus. Let me share. Let me share from the one who has been so generous to me. Mary has chosen the good portion. The better portion. Some, some translations say she has chosen what is better. Do you know God wants better for you? He wants you to know what is better. He doesn't want you to settle. Jesus doesn't want you to settle. He wants you to choose the good portion. What is better? What is the good portion that Mary has found? Mary has chosen. This might seem like a strange phrase. Portion sounds like chips or something. Well, Jesus is using a phrase that is used often in the Bible. And throughout Psalms, David says a number of times, Lord, you alone are my portion. You are my cup. It says in Psalm 16, you make my lot secure. My lot secure. Everything that I need, secure. And then he says this, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I found it fascinating a few weeks ago, you may have seen, when I interviewed John and Molly Oldfield, and I asked them, what was the favourite house you've ever lived in? Just as a, a warm-up question, really, just to get to know them a bit more. And, and Molly said the favourite house she'd ever lived in was a very simple house in Yemen, in the Middle East. Didn't, at first, when they went there, it, I don't think it even had proper plumbing. It was a very simple, simple house. Probably the most simple house they've lived in, I would have thought. It was their favourite house she'd ever lived in. Because she knew that her portion was the Lord. And so she could say, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Pleasant places? You don't even have proper plumbing. You, don't, you live in a very difficult area. 
Now she's confident. The Lord is my portion. He's got everything. He's, he's, he makes my lot secure. See, David goes on to say this in other areas. Psalm 27, one thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. All the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Who does that sound like? It sounds like Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, gazing, listening, learning, opening her heart, giving him access to her, having access to him. She has a full portion in him. Psalm 73, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. She's chosen the Lord. She's chosen the grace of God, relationship with God. She has given God access to her heart. As I was looking at this, I, I discovered it's interesting in Joshua, when the, the Israelites have gone through the promised land and they find, sorry, through the wilderness, they finally come to the promised land. And Joshua is dividing up the land to the different tribes of Israel. And it says, the, the uh, let me read it to you. Joshua 18.7. Joshua is dividing up the promised land. I won't read it to you. Uh, between the tribes of Israel, he gives them each a portion, but the Levites are given no portion. They're given no portion of land, but rather, he says, the priesthood of the Lord is their heritage. The priesthood of the Lord is their portion. What is the priesthood of the Lord? Well, in Israel, the priesthood represented the nation's relationship with God. The original intention of them, the covenant that God had made with his people, was for the entire nation to be a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of people in relationship with God. That is the good portion. They may have felt, but well, we didn't get land. But interestingly, a few chapters later, they're given cities in every land. See, the God that we serve, the God who loves to be in relationship with us is a generous giving God. It's not a lesser thing to sacrifice what we might like to take hold of and have control of for relationship with him. He is generous. At one point it looked like they didn't have a portion. Then they realized our portion is relationship with God. And in relationship with God, he gave cities in every area. It's a bit like seek first a kingdom and the rest will be added to you. Trust him. He's a gracious and giving God. He gives, as we heard in John 7, to overflowing. He gave his very best. That's the main way we know God is a giving God. He gave of his very best. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. That's how we know he loves. What did he give? Did he give us land? Gold, freedom, joy, peace. He gave us his son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. God gave his own son so that we could give him our mess. And in our messiness and in our trying to get things right, we hand it over to him, say, sorry, I made a mess of this, God, I'm sorry. And he says, hey, I'll give you my perfect spotless son and I take away your mess I deal with it 
as it said in John 3.16, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And this brings me on to the third point. Jesus says it will not be taken away. One thing is needed. Mary chose the good portion and it will not be taken away. Jesus wants to save you from loss. Did you know that? Jesus wants to save you from busying yourself and working your tail off, giving yourself to things, and then in the end finding out it was all a waste of time. I was looking out the wrong window. I was focusing on the wrong thing. Jesus wants to save you from that loss. It says many times in the Bible, things like this in Matthew 6, don't store up treasures for yourselves on earth where moths and rust can destroy and thieves can break in and steal. You, you may build up for yourself wealth and, and privilege and position and success, but that stuff is all transient. It goes. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Trust me and my teaching and my ways. I will help you to invest well. That's what Jesus wants. He wants us to invest well so that we would not suffer loss. He really does want the best for us. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, We fix our eyes not on what is seen, not like Martha on the many troubles that occupy her mind, but we fix our mind on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Finally, there's just two things and they're, they're pretty serious things here because Jesus doesn't want you to suffer loss. He doesn't want you to suffer loss in this life now or in the life to come. He doesn't want you to invest in things that will just fall short of giving you joy and life and hope and any real payback, any good payback. Sadly, many things we invest in, they give us terrible payback. He wants you to be investing well so that you will gain life. And it says this in 1 Corinthians 3, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, and that means when we come to God face to face one day, we may carry things with us and say, look God, look what I've done. Look what I've done. And we may find our hands are actually empty. Oh, there's nothing in them. I didn't actually do anything for you that was worth anything. He says, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You see, Martha loves Jesus. She's in his family. She's, she's a believer. Like Mary, God, Jesus loves Mary and Martha. It's not like Mary's going to heaven and Martha's not. No, they're, 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 both, they're both in his family. But the, what Jesus wants us to know is, I don't want you to suffer loss. I want you to do the right work, the work that will actually bear fruit. And so he says, if anyone's work is burned up, they will suffer loss. Though they themselves will be saved, it will be only as through fire. It's like saying, look, you're in. Because your faith is in Jesus and Jesus is the wonderful righteousness of God. And so you can't go wrong. In Jesus, you're saved. 
but I want more for you. I want you to be able to invest well so that you would know joy in this life, peace in this life, hope in this life, and hope in the life to come. Serious. He doesn't want us to miss what is available. This is good for us to know as individuals. Jesus wants to save us from loss, but he wants the church as well to not be at a loss. He says in Revelation to, to a church, he says, you've done many good things, but I hold one thing against you, that you've surrendered your first love. Now you need to repent and turn back and do the things you used to do, or I will take away your lampstand. You see, he's saying to Martha, Mary's chosen what cannot be taken away. I don't want her to suffer loss. I don't, Mary, Martha, I don't want you to suffer loss. And he also says to the church, church, I don't want you to suffer loss. I don't want to take away your lampstand, your light that you shine. But if I am not your first love, if you get too caught up in crowds, big numbers, great music, nice coffee, comfy seats, if you get caught up in stuff that is not actually what I've called you to, I will remove your lampstand. What a loss that would be for us to think, what a church we are. Pat ourselves on the back, think we're doing really well, while Jesus is looking on saying, hey, don't forget your first love. A bit like that marriage, to think, don't forget, our marriage is more important than this sofa. Are you a Mary or are you a Martha? That's the question. Are you a Mary or are you a Martha? The people I know who enjoy Jesus the most, they're not lazy. They're not lacking in motivation or fervency. They're some of the most hardworking people I know, in fact. But they are at peace. They enjoy Jesus. They're not troubled about many things. They can come they can sometimes actually look lazy, but their priorities are different. They've chosen the good portion. They're not busying themselves. They're not avoiding God. They've given him access to change them. If you know you have Martha-like tendencies, if you're often troubled about many things, the offer for you today is to give Jesus access to your heart. To say, Jesus, I want you to help me where I avoid trusting you with the vulnerable places, the places that have been hurt in the past, where I think I need things to go my way. It's too scary otherwise. Jesus, have your way. If you want help with that, please get in touch with us. We'd love to serve you. Let me pray and I ask you to pray now. If you know, Jesus, I think you've spoken to me this morning. I want you to have access to my heart. Perhaps Jesus is saying to you today, Martha, Martha, stop. Stop. I've got better for you than this. Choose the good portion. Father God, I want to ask you for your help for those who know. I think God wants me to stop, to stop my busyness and actually let him do the work on my heart that he needs to do. I need to sit at his feet. I need to gaze at the beauty of who he is. Father, would you help us to never lose sight of our first love? To never choose the bad portion, but to choose the good portion. To know and follow after you. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. See you soon.